Glad your plans included uh, being here and worshiping Jesus together with your church family. And um, you know, I was visiting uh, one of our widowers this week and just praying with him. And I, I asked him, you know, how you doing, my friend? And he always says, I'm so blessed. You know, he's a man who can't see. But his attitude is, I, I, I am so blessed. And, you know, I, I just want to tell you guys, I feel blessed being a part of this church. My, my family has been blessed to be a part of this church family for 28 years. And uh, to just come together with you on weekends and hear all of us singing to the same Lord and Savior uh, when we pray for one another, to hear the hum of voices lifting up prayers to God, and uh, just to have so many friends here. We're just blessed, and I just wanted you to know how blessed I feel to uh, be part of this church family. So thank God for you. Well, uh, this, as Pastor Brian mentioned, this is our second week of our Love Works adventure, and I'm hearing stories about every day now of God working in us and through us as a church family. I'm hearing about meals being unexpectedly paid for and gasoline being purchased for other people and Co-workers being surprised by random acts of kindness, widows being cared for, homeless people being ministered to, and all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because of his great love for us. Lord's working in my own heart these days. Not only is he opening my eyes to needs all around me that I hadn't seen before, but he's also in his mercy revealing how self-focused I can be and I get all just kind of wrapped up in me and my stuff. And so for me, love and repentance are going hand in hand uh, on this journey. As Pastor Brian mentioned, it's not too late to start with us. Even if you were uh, not able to be around last week, you can jump right in with the devotional guide and, and hop in a 40-day small group. What what's this is all about is during these six weeks, we're asking God, because of his great love for us, to turn our focus outward, right? Outward onto the people around us to use us as channels or conduits of his grace and love to our neighbors and to our friends and to co-workers and uh, even to people that we don't um, maybe care for that much or have a hard time loving. Maybe those two last groups go together. I don't know. But we're very strong in saying that our incentive for this is God's great love and mercy to us, his sacrificial love poured out into our lives. And that's why we've chosen the theme verse that we have, which is 1 John 4.19. So say it with me if you know it. We love because he first loved us. That's our incentive. That's our motivation. We've been loved in order to love. And so our challenge today is to discover what it means to really love people. And we're going to get practical today. We noted last week that we live in a culture that bombards us with a variety of messages about love, and so it's easy to be confused. Plus, we routinely use that word love to mean lots of different things, don't we? We say, I love pizza, I love my wife, I love dancing with the stars, I love the Buckeyes, and we hopefully mean different things, even though we're using that, that one word. So hopefully today we can get a little bit clearer on what it means to truly love people. You can take the, the study guide out of your worship folder, and there's a, a truth there, an idea. And, and the sermon, if I were to condense it down into one sentence today, would be this. The truest pattern for loving people is seen in the life and in the death of Jesus Christ. 
The truest pattern or, or example or model for loving people is seen in the life of Jesus Christ and in his death. Just listen to some scripture that I, I want to read for you from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And then this one from John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And listen, just as I have loved you, so also you must love one another. There's the pattern, the model, the example. And those words, that last statement, came right from the lips of Jesus himself on that Thursday night when he was with his disciples in the upper room. You can see that he was telling them to pattern their love for other people after his love for them. Watch how I have loved you, he was saying, and then go out and love each other like that. Now, we know that the ultimate act of Jesus love for his disciples would take place when he would lay down his life for them, right, and, and, and die on the cross to pay for their sins. That's the ultimate expression of love. But when he made that particular statement to his disciples, that hadn't happened yet. He hadn't died yet. His death was still in the future. So what could he have been referring to? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What was he talking about? Well, I believe he was referring to what had just happened. And John chapter 13 is where we're going to be this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have a device, you can click on John 13 and get there. John 13 records the story, as I said, of the Last Supper, that Thursday night when Jesus gathered his disciples together into the upper room and they celebrated the Passover meal together for the last time. And when you read John's account of what actually happened during that meal... It becomes apparent that Jesus was giving his disciples an object lesson in love so that they would know what he meant when he said, as I have loved you, so love one another. We know that because of how John opens up the scene. So listen to verse 1 of John 13. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, what does it say? He now showed them the full extent of his love. So they're in that room that night, just hours away from showing his disciples what dying love looks like. Jesus wanted to give them a vivid picture of what living love looks like so that they could see how he meant for them to love other people. And I believe this was not only for those 12 guys, but for all Christ followers down through the centuries leading even up to us today that we would know how to love others as he loved us. So let's look at this familiar story with an eye towards discovering this pattern of love that Jesus laid down, loving like Jesus Christ. Here's how it begins, verse 2. The evening meal was being served, the Passover meal, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Very important statement. We're going to come back to that. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, 
wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Well, right off the bat, something jumps out at me, just kind of because where we've been at as a church these last few months, the first thing I, I notice, and I'm wondering if it struck you as well, is that Christ's love for his disciples in that moment flowed out of his secure identity in God. Christ's love flows from a secure identity. When I read this, I asked, well, why did John say what he said in verse 3 there? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, he was returning to God. With the lenses I have on these days, it became obvious to me, he wanted his readers to understand that Jesus' act of love flowed out of his identity, his secure identity. He knew who he was. He was God's beloved son, right? Coming from the Father, returning to the Father. And so I think he's wanting to communicate something, that, that, that our doing flows from our being. That behavior arises out of belief that mission flows from identity. And we've been talking a lot about identity around here the last few months. That's why we started this Love Work series last week, not with what you should be doing, but with who we are in Christ, loved by God. That's where it begins. Take away that sense of identity and what happens to love? Well, it becomes tainted, doesn't it? It becomes tainted with self-interest. We go out and do nice things for people to try to get them to notice us or accept us or like us or respect us or to give us something back in return. And because the motivation is self-focused, it's usually short-lived. It doesn't last. If I'm not secure in my identity, I can get all fired up and inspired about going out and loving on people, but when I don't get back from them what I was looking for in the first place, when the transaction doesn't go both ways, then I'll begin to think, it's not working. <laughs> and I'll look for another tactic or another strategy. My experience is that love is just not sustainable over the long haul if it's not grounded and rooted in a secure identity of who we are in Christ. So John, thank you for putting verse 3 in there. It helps us <laughs> to understand where this foot washing and all that, where that came from, where it, where it arose from. And then I see something else. Second, Christ's love puts the focus on others, on other people. Now think about this. On that night, Jesus was just a few hours away from being betrayed and arrested and interrogated. He was kept up all night, a sleepless night, a bunch of trials rigged trials, then his conviction, then his sentencing, then his flogging, and then the unimaginable agony of being executed on a Roman cross. That was all coming, and the thing is, he knew it. He knew it was coming. He was the Son of God. He knew what his redemptive mission was here on this planet, and he knew the hour had come. It was time. This was all coming. And I'm wondering, if, if you were in that situation, hanging out with a few close friends one last time, where would your focus be? I'll tell you where mine would be. It would be on me. I would be looking to my friends for some support, some pity, some compassion, some sympathy. I would put a chair right in the middle of the room and sit in it and plead with my friends, come, pray for me, put your hands on me and pray that God will give me the strength to endure what I know is coming. And there's nothing wrong with that, but my point is that my focus would be on me and Jesus' focus was on others. 
Amazing. That's amazing. See, loving, loving like Jesus begins with believing what God says is true about you, and then being secure in that, we are enabled by his grace to turn our focus outward to the needs and the people that are all around us. If I was able to have coffee with, with some of you, and we were across the table from each other, and, and, and I was to chat with you as like a pastor friend to you, there, there are some of you who I would say, you know what, can I be honest with you? You are so self-focused. It's, it's, ah, it's just kind of ugly. I mean, you're always talking about yourself. Your conversations are always about, you know, what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you did yesterday, what you're planning on doing. You know, and you wonder why you don't have a lot of close friends. You wonder why people avoid you. You wonder, you know, why people's eyes glaze over when you start to talk. Man, you've made it all about you. And, and although you say you, that you love people, I, they wonder about that. I, I don't know how you'd take that, you know, if you'd buy my coffee or not, but... I would love to, to look at some of you in the eye and just kind of try to grab you and jolt you awake and say, you know, there's more to life than you. <laughs> there's a whole world around you of people with needs and you've not been seeing it because you're so myopic, you're just focused on yourself. You need to go back to the source, to Christ, and ask him to change you. I would say to you what I said to all of us last week, stare at the cross of Jesus until you are overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of his love for you. The cure for obsessive self-focus starts there, looking at the cross and grasping how loved you are. And then the Spirit of God will begin to work in you and he'll begin to open your eyes. And you'll go, oh, oh, there's a world out there of people. Yeah, it's been there all along. But now you're, now you're seeing it. Well, that night, Jesus was demonstrating living love for his disciples, secure in his, his relationship with the Father, focused on them. Third, I couldn't help but notice this, Christ's love sometimes defies tradition. It's unconventional. You need to know that rabbis didn't wash their disciples' feet in that culture. That just did not happen. In fact, rarely would a rabbi even call upon his disciples to, to wash his feet. That was considered slave labor, servant's work. Now, if you're not familiar with first century Jewish culture, you might be wondering what this whole foot washing ritual was all about. Remember that back then, roads were not paved, but they were more like dusty trails. And there were no cars, so wherever you wanted to go, you had to walk there on these trails. And as you did, your feet would get really grimy and dirty just by walking through your days. And so if you got invited to somebody's home for a meal, it was customary in that culture for the household servant to take a basin of water and a towel and to, to wipe off your dusty feet. Probably an attempt to prevent an unappetizing situation from occurring during the meal. <laughs> in those days, the tables were very low and there usually weren't any chairs. So when you ate together around a table, you just kind of reclined on your elbow and, and ate with your other hand, and your feet could end up close to someone else's face. And so if a lot of people showed up and you were in close quarters, let's just say that having clean feet would enhance the whole dining experience for everyone. 
So when Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, got up and removed his outer garment and began cleaning the grime off of his disciples' feet, that was unconventional, to say the least. That would have raised some eyebrows. That went against what was culturally acceptable. And it certainly explains Peter's reaction, which we'll, we'll see in a minute. And you know, when you have Christ's love in you and it's flowing out to other people, it, it might puzzle some people too. You might end up serving some people and loving on some people who, in our culture, you know, you would think that they would be serving you, but here you are serving them, like a manager or a boss serving their employees. And people might go, wow, that's, that's different. Well, Jesus' love is like that. It breaks through cultural norms and cultural barriers. Reflects the love of our king, doesn't it? In that upside-down kingdom that we've talked about, the king who came to actually serve his subjects. That's the love of King Jesus. So let's just remember that Christ-like love often runs counter to conventional thinking. Something else I noticed Number four, Christ's love, the love of Jesus, goes beyond words and feelings to action. I'm reading a book right now, it's titled Love Does, and it's just stories of love in action. It's very inspiring. We've probably all had the experience of, you know, noticing somebody in need and seeing them and and feeling our hearts, feeling compassion in our hearts. But then deciding, oh man, you know, I'm on a schedule, I don't have time to really stop and do anything, or I'm too busy, or would it really make a difference anyway, or someone else will come along and and meet that need. We've all done that. Listen to this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with what? Actions and in truth. Love does. Love works. Since God loved us with intentional action, his heart is that we would love others with intentional action too. Jesus that night, seeing that need in the room, went beyond just having good intentions Beyond just feeling bad that nobody was paying attention to washing anybody else's feet. He went beyond hoping somebody else would do something about it. He acted. He did something. Love works. I heard a story this week of uh, a young man in our church, our church family, and, and he's been letting God work in his heart, and he's taking to heart the things that we've been talking about with regard to love works, and he was getting ready to go hang out with some friends somewhere, and he got off the exit ramp, and at the bottom of the ramp, there was a man standing there with a little cardboard sign that said, homeless, need help. And the young man thought, you know, well, and he just paused for a moment, and the Holy Spirit gave him that little nudge, you know what I'm talking about? Do something. So he rolled down his window and looked at the man and said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't carry any cash with me. I don't have any food in the car, but I see that you need help. What, what, what kind of help are you looking for? And, and the guy said, well, I, I need a propane tank to take back to the camp where I live so that we can, my, you know, for my girl and I, we can cook meals together. And so in that moment, the young man said, all right, get in. 
where do you, where do you get your propane? And he said, well, there's a, there's a gas station about a quarter mile down the road here. So the young man took him down to the gas station, and on the way, he was able to look at him and say, you know, I want you to know something, that Jesus loves you. He really does, and I'm just here to, to offer whatever help I can. And he thought, you know, how long does uh, one tank of propane last you? And the guy said, about a week. And again, the young man felt prompted, and, he, and uh, he, he bought four of them. He bought four tanks of propane and loaded them up in his car and said, let me take you to where you live. So he drove him downtown by the highway there, and, and he kept going, and there was a bridge and railroad tracks, and parked the car and, you know, got these 30, 40-pound tanks out and started walking down there, and, and he got to reiterate with this gentleman, you know, Jesus loves you. He sees you. He knows what's going on in your life. You haven't escaped his notice no matter what's going on. And they ended up at a tent. And they, he took the, and it was a long walk, took the tanks there. And he said, um, is your girlfriend here? And he said, yeah, I, I think she's sleeping. And the young man said, well, I would love to pray for you. Would you mind asking her if she could come out? And so he went and got his girlfriend. And she was, you know, embarrassed about the state of their life right about then and he just said you know what God loves you Jesus loves you and um, he's put it on my heart to pray with you and they just in that moment had a had a prayer right there Isn't that cool love works love does love acts love goes beyond you know having good intentions or just feelings of pity or compassion and moves out in action that's what love does Love goes beyond lip service. Love works. Christ's love does. There's something else here in the story of Jesus and his disciples that I think could escape our notice if we didn't remind ourselves that sitting among the group of men that night around that table was none other than a young man named Judas. Judas Iscariot. So get that picture in your mind now. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, kneeling down washing the dirty, smelly, grimy feet of Judas Iscariot. What a moment that must have been. I wonder if their eyes met. Knowing what they both knew, knowing what would happen within the next few hours. And here's the lesson, I think. Number five, Christ's love does good even to enemies. The love of Jesus does what is good even to enemies those who are hard to love. Now, if you've been using this 10-minute workout guide for your devotional uh, throughout the week, you might recall that Wednesday's devotional was based on this very thing, Christ's call to his followers to love their enemies. Amy Tolson is one of our Catalyst small group leaders, and she wrote out the devotional for that day, and she asked this question, how well do you do at loving people who are hard to love? And so at the dinner table that night, our family discussed this, and we started with talking about the kinds of people that we have a hard time loving. So we talked about annoying people, draining people, self-focused, egotistical people, know-it-alls, people who think they're better than us, people who hurt other people, and so on and so forth. And then I posed Amy's next question. So what are three tangible ways that you can love people who are like that? And it got kind of quiet for a bit, you know? Don't you wish Jesus had just settled for us tolerating our enemies? And so I say unto thee, put up with your enemies and try to avoid running them over with a truck. <laughs> Don't you wish Jesus had just called us to 
tolerate them, to put up with them, but he called us to more than that, didn't he? He called us to love our enemies like he did. Mind-boggling love to Judas, the man who within hours would betray him to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver. And that's the love we have received. Jesus in us desires to love through us even those who we deem hard to love. Well, Jesus continued that night to make his way around the table, washing each guy's feet, and then he got to Peter. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I think there's another important lesson here for those of us who want to learn to love like Jesus it's to understand that, that when we express that love, sometimes it's going to be refused. Sometimes it's going to be declined or misunderstood or underappreciated. One man said, if it's human beings you're serving, you better prepare yourself to be misunderstood and not appreciated. That's the reason it's so very important why we serve others, what our motivation is for doing what we do. If we're doing it so that people will notice us or like us or respect us or approve of us or get, give us something back, then we're bound at some point to be disappointed, right? And our love works will die out as a result because we weren't getting back what we had hoped to get. Well, mark it down. There will be Peters in your life who, when you attempt to love them, are going to kind of recoil at that and say, no, I don't, I don't really need any help. I'm good. I'm fine. You'll feel prompted by God to offer to help them out in some way, to, to maybe buy them a meal or pay a bill for them or take them somewhere they need to go or give them a job or finish something that they started. And you'll offer that and they'll just say, no, 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 no thanks. I, I don't need that. Or if you are able to serve them, they won't appreciate it on the back end. You know, no thank you, no appreciation, no acknowledgement, no nice little encouraging card, no little gift card inside the nice encouraging card, none of that. And you know what? If that happens, it's okay. It's okay. Because that's not why we're doing it, right? We're not loving on people in order to get something back from them. We're loving, why? Because he first loved us. That's what we're doing. We can leave the results up to God, like Pastor Claude is always telling us, right? Do what you know to do. Leave the results up to God. Leave the outcomes up to him. He'll take care of all that. Now, when people do respond with appreciation, that's a blessing. That's nice. Feels good, but, but that's not why we do it. It's not conditional love. Strings attached. Back scratching, it's, that's not what it is. Not Christ's love. You know, when Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss later on that same night in the garden, you don't hear Jesus saying, is this the thanks I get for washing your feet? <laughs> Serving Judas was not a transaction for Jesus. His act of love was not intended to get something back from him in return. It simply flowed out of who he is. Identity. And kind of as a sidebar here, if, if, if maybe you're a Peter type who has a hard time receiving love. Anybody in the room like that? 
you're accustomed to being on the giving end of the equation. You like that. You like how that feels to be able to help somebody else out. But when someone offers to help you, it's, oh, no, 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 I don't really need that. I'm fine. I'm good. Maybe you're like that. If it makes you uncomfortable when someone wants to serve you, my counsel to you is get over it. Get over it. I mean, how did you get into God's family in the first place? You let Jesus Christ serve you. You let him wash you clean with his precious blood and give you a clean slate. You let Jesus serve you. What's the big deal about letting Jesus' people serve you? You know what it is sometimes really that, that oh, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. You know what it is? It's just pride masked in false humility, isn't it? And that can be repented of like anything else. Well, Jesus' little exchange with Peter revealed something else, number seven. Christ's love includes forgiving others. Forgiveness. Pick up the conversation there with Jesus and Peter. Verse nine. Well then, Lord, Peter replied, don't just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, the person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. I wonder if he glanced over at Judas. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, it's obvious here that Jesus is using the analogy of taking a bath and having your feet washed to speak of being spiritually clean, being spiritually forgiven. You know, Jesus, whenever he taught, he was always teaching on about three or four levels. You know that? The point I want us to see is that love involves forgiving and being forgiven. You've already had a bath, Peter. You're already pardoned, forgiven, clean in the truest sense of the word, clean before God. You just need your feet washed because you walk through a dirty world every day and your feet are dirty. Let me wash your feet. We know that one very important aspect of Christ's love for us is his forgiveness of our sins against him, right? So when he calls us to love others like he loves us, he's certainly including this notion of forgiving others who have sinned against us, just as he forgave us. You know, it occurs to me that for some of you, the most significant love work that will take place during these 40 days is not anything that anybody else will see, but it's the work of God in you to give you the grace to forgive that person who has sinned against you and offended you. That person who abused you, that person who hurt you, who wounded you, that person who failed to recognize your contribution, failed to, to acknowledge what you bring to the table, that parent, that aunt or uncle, that grandparent, that boss, that coworker, that child who disappointed you, the greatest love work for some of you that God's going to do in your hearts these 40 days is to enable you to release them and let them go. And forgive them because of how God has forgiven you. You know who I'm talking about, right? Because their face just appeared on the screen of your mind. What if their face appeared on that screen? How would, how would that make you feel? I pray for you. I pray that the same Jesus who forgave you of all of your sin against him will enable you to forgive that sin that was committed against you. It was real, 
It was a sin. It was an offense. It was hurtful. We're not saying it didn't happen or it didn't exist or wasn't important. It's just you canceling the you owe me and releasing that person. You know, sometimes we think that nursing a grudge, you know, is, really feels good, right? Like, oh, man, I'm really getting back at them by being so bitter. And the odds are they don't even know. But that acid, that acid is tearing you up on the inside. Let it go. Let it go. You've held the grudge long enough, don't you think? Jesus will give you the grace, his love to do that, to forgive. That's a love work as well. Well, then one last thing, back to the upper room. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example. There it is, pattern, a pattern, a model you should do as I have done for you. Well, there's a lot here, but for our purposes, let me just, just note this. Number eight, Christ's love is designed to be contagious. It's designed to be spread. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't demand anything in return for washing his disciples' feet. He doesn't say, now that I have washed your feet, you ought also to wash my feet. He, he doesn't say that. This was not a transaction for Jesus. This wasn't a, hey, I scratched your back, now you scratch mine. This was Jesus loving without conditions, without expecting any, to get anything in return, without any strings attached, simply because of who he was. You know what Jesus really wanted? He wanted his kind of love to spread. Hey, I've washed your feet, now go out and wash other people's feet. Spread it. Spread it. This was a love that was designed to be shared, to be spread, to be contagious. Now, earlier I told you the story about the young guy who, who bought the four um, propane tanks for that homeless person. Well, another young guy in our church heard about that, and he got inspired, and he started taking to heart the things that he's been hearing about the love of Christ in him leaking out onto other people. And he was here for a meeting one time, and he left the building, and right out front was a car full of people who were here to come and ask for some help. And he just felt that same nudge of the Holy Spirit, just like the other guy did. And he knocked on the window, and they rolled the window down. He said, I, I, I see that you're here. Are, are you needing some help? And they said, yes. And he said, what do you need? And he said, well, we need some gas for our car here. We've got to get somewhere, and we don't have enough gas. And you know how it is when you hear those things? You're, you're, you're doing the calculation in your mind, right? Is this really legitimate? I mean, should I really do anything? Is this a scam? But you know what? He pushed all that aside, and because he felt Jesus talking to him, and he said, you know what? Let's, let's go down the street to the gas station down here, and he, and he took him down there, and he filled up their car with gas, and it was a big car with a big tank, and that cost him money that, that he probably didn't have, but he felt great joy in doing that. And then where he works, his boss heard about that he had done that and his boss was inspired to also go help a homeless person. You see how this works? It was spreading. It was going viral. And that's what Jesus intends for his love to do and to be, to go viral, to be contagious, to spread like ripples in a pond. 
ever outward, spreading and enveloping more people with the love of Christ. Jesus' love was meant to be spread to billions of people, one person at a time, one love work at a time, and all because of the love of Christ. Now, I thought about this, and I know some of you struggle with this notion of letting people know what you're doing, right? You're thinking, hey, I'm supposed to do all this and not let my left hand know what my right hand is doing, and, and there's certainly truth in that. Here's, here's where I'm at on this. I think it goes to motive. If, if you're doing stuff and sharing stuff with other people in an effort to showcase how, you know, your awesomeness, that's not the same as letting your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. But Jesus did say, don't hide your light under a bushel. Don't hide it under a, bas a basket. Let it shine. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So I don't think it's evil or bad to, to, to tell the stories of how God is using you in the lives of others as long as your motives are to spread the good love of Jesus Christ and to make God look great because he is great. Does that make sense? Well, I want us to do something this morning that I hope will inspire all of us to spread Christ's love to other people, but also keep us anchored to the main reason why we're doing it. In a few moments, we're going to partake of the Lord's table together, and the way we're going to do it today is that some, some couples and some pairs are going to take their places around the room, and if you are one of those couples, you can go ahead and start getting prepared for that. And they're going to have a place in the room, and they're going to hold the tray of bread and a tray of uh, cups of juice, so that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when you're ready, you can go to them and partake of those elements. And when you do, they will look at you and say, this represents Christ's body, which was crushed for you, given for you. And this juice represents his blood, which was shed for your sins, the forgiveness of your sins. And as you partake of those elements, you can thank Jesus for his love for you that was demonstrated on the cross. But before we do that, I want you to notice on the back side of your study guide, there's a box there, and it contains this question. What is Jesus leading you to do to share his love with others? I want you to think about that. Let me amplify that a little bit. Is there a need? Is there a need that you see that Jesus is calling you to meet? Is there a passion in your heart to serve someone or a group of people or bless them in a particular way? Is there a problem in our world or in our community that you believe Jesus is calling you to engage with and to address? Do you believe God's given you a gift to share with other people so that they might experience Christ's love more fully? Is there a particular person that you believe Jesus is calling you to love or serve or forgive? Would you take a moment and ponder that? You know, one of the strongest desires of our leadership team is that love works be something that you feel empowered to do without feeling like you have to come to your leadership and ask for permission. Like you can just hear from Jesus and, and do it. Now, there will be some church-wide, church-sponsored love work ministries that we're going to be presenting to you. We're going to adopt a school here in our community to just love on and bless in any way that we can. We're going to collaborate with other churches in town to form a community ministry center here, kind of a one-stop shop for needy people to come and get food and clothing and 
prayer and spiritual counsel, all of that. So there are going to be these church-sponsored things, but for the most part, we're praying that there will be a, a gazillion love works that take place that we never even hear about because it's just God's people listening to Jesus like the guy with the, you know, with the homeless man and just saying, okay, do I need to call up Pastor Claude first and ask permission? No, just do it. Just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. So what is Jesus calling you to do? On that night, with his men gathered around him, Jesus demonstrated love by washing some dirty feet. I can envision some of you, perhaps, demonstrating love by washing someone's dirty car or their dirty clothes or helping a homeless person or buying groceries for a family who you hear about is in distress or going and visiting a widow or befriending a kid at school who's an outcast that nobody wants to hang out with and God puts it on your heart to go befriend that person or to care for an aging parent or to write a note of encouragement to somebody or, or to open your home for someone who's in need and needs some temporary lodging for a season. There's no right or wrong answer here. It's whatever Jesus is putting on your heart. It might be something small like writing a note of encouragement. It might be this huge vision you have to you know, solve world hunger, you know, or anything in between, big or small. Put words to it, would you? Take a moment, put some words to it. Put, turn it into a phrase. I'm just trying to prime the pump here a little bit. Let me give you some other examples. Maybe it is forgiveness, forgiving that person who abused you, sponsoring an African child, or taking a discouraged, disheartened co-worker to lunch this week, or praying for revival, or fighting injustice, or refusing to judge people by the color of their skin any longer, or by their socioeconomic status, or ministering to children in our Awana program, or surprising your spouse with a gift, or caring for an orphan. What is Jesus calling you to do? Would you write it out as best you understand it? And when you've written it out, I'm going to ask you to do something else that might help Christ's love become contagious in our church body here and inspire other people. There, you probably saw these canvases on the wall when you walked in here with writing on them. And there's some Sharpies there. There's some markers there alongside them. Would you be willing to walk over there and write out your love vision, not, not putting your name on there, but just writing it out on there so that as we look at these and read them these next few weeks, we can all be inspired by what God is doing in us and through us. Would you be willing to do that? Your love vision? You're not making a promise or a guarantee. It's just the reflection of a heart that's been touched by Christ. So it occurs to me that for some of you, you'll want to take communion first and then go write that love vision because that's going to keep you anchored to the reason that you're doing this in the first place, the sacrifice of Christ. Others of you may want to write that vision first and then go take communion. It's a way of confirming that you understand that your love flows from his love. So we've set aside plenty of time for this, and we're going to be responding to the Lord and worshiping together. So folks who are serving communion, you can take your places and let me pray for us. And to you... 
our precious Lord and Savior and King, Jesus Christ. As a church family, we acknowledge today your, your great love for us. Thank you so much for your dying love, that you laid down your life to pay for our sins, that we might be made right with the Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But also, thank you for your living love that you demonstrated by washing your disciples' feet and giving us an example, a pattern to follow get our focus off ourselves and onto the needs around us and by your power and your grace enabling us to serve our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our bosses, our children in a way that reflects your heart. Lord, I know you've laid on the hearts of hundreds of new lifers something that you're calling them to do, a, a love vision, a love work. And Lord, we want to spur one another on towards love and good, good works, good deeds. And so, as we write these things on this canvas today, we offer them to you as acts of worship. And as we partake of the elements, we remember why we're doing it, because of your great sacrifice and love for us. And so I offer this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. And so there's gonna be lots of movement, lots of people moving around and going places and writing things, and that's okay. But let's respond to what Jesus is telling us. We have our prayer partners also will come up and be available to pray with you. Let's respond to the Lord together.